Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome into the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti, along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dustin, how are you doing, my friend? Did you have a great weekend? I had a I had a good to great weekend. It was nice and low key. Now ready to talk about uh, really an, a pretty action packed week on the Penn State recruiting trail. I think a lot of people were looking forward to this this little trio that was set to announce last week, and uh, Penn State went perfect. They did. It was a fantastic week. Before we get started, one more reminder, Dustin: Penn State at Auburn. You and I are going to be there. We are going along with collegiate athletic travel. Uh, Great opportunity to follow the team to Auburn. The flight, staying at the team hotels, transport to and from the game, tailgate party, and most importantly, Dustin and I will be there. We'll be doing a podcast from there Friday night. You get to participate, mingle with Dustin. Can't beat that, can you? But there is a deadline that is coming up Friday this week, the 22nd. So please, 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 if you want to join us, and it'll be a great time, go to either athletictravel.com or better yet, call 800-788-4414. And there ain't no party like a party with Dustin, right? You will not regret it. Friday is the deadline. If you want to make your dreams come true, Friday is your chance to do it. Between now and Friday, I should say. Don't wait till the last minute. These spots are filling up quick. How's that? I'll tell you what, though. If your dream is to spend time with Dustin, uh, you may, may God have, have mercy issues. on your soul. All right, let's move on, Dustin. Let's talk. You talked about it. You mentioned it. It was a great recruiting week. Tell you what, this class, it's been a top 10 class. First heavy on the offense. Then we got defense, especially DBs. We got some defensive linemen. But it was like the donut on defense. Big hole right in the middle there at linebacker. Guess what? They filled that hole. Not only did they fill it, they filled it with a couple of really nice four-stars, didn't they? Really nice players and, um, you know, a little different fit in the Penn State defense than uh, what they've got at linebacker now. Certainly what they got in the 2022 class. So you look at what they've got so far and what they got uh, in 2022, five linebackers total. The two that committed this week are, are, are different, and I think – it probably fits, and you can probably glean what it might mean for the Penn State defense and how Manny Diaz views that position and uh, how he views versatility and mobility and things like that. But, you know, the bottom line, I think, with both of these guys, and we'll get into them individually, uh, they got two really, really nice players who can cover a lot of ground on defense. And you want to talk about what that means in modern college football. It's everything now. Well, and we're going to hit this a little bit later in um, segment number two. We're going to talk about the linebacker depth chart with with bringing in these two guys. But one of the things, I think one of the themes to to your thoughts on this is, could there be a bit of a shortage there, even with these two guys coming in? But it's a different defense now with Manny Diaz there. 
And is Jonathan Sutherland, who's shifting from safety to linebacker, it's that striker position he calls that, is that really a linebacker position, or is it just an additional safety? And when we look at this recruiting class and see these two linebackers, we may have to count one or two of those safeties who may be eligible to play this position. And I think that's the beauty of it is that, you know, you can use your personnel to its fullest. And we've talked about this a bunch where Penn State has shown that they're able to do this. And so right now in 2022, their personnel suggests that moving Jonathan Sutherland up from safety made the most sense. Getting him on the field helps him get their best 11 on the field. He's a really experienced guy. I think linebacker could probably suit him better than safety did. So you have that option. And then you have the option of having linebackers who can run, who can maybe play that spot more often too. You have, um, you know, the the ability to to mix and match and make the most out of the guys that you have. I mean, your roster is going to ebb and flow, and I think you're always going to want to have somebody in your back pocket that can run and cover and, and play that position. And you know, both of these guys who committed last week, I think, are capable of doing that. Um, Jonathan Sutherland is capable of doing that. Could another big safety like Jalen Reed ultimately end up doing that? Maybe. And uh, I, I think um, they, they've got some some guys. If you can run and you've got some length, as we'll talk about with Tamir Robinson, I mean, you can be a fit for that position and uh, and play it well. So I, I think what they have right now, Jonathan Sutherland is their best bet. But I don't know that it always has to be that way. If you've got a, a pretty special linebacker who can run, I think he can do that job too. Well, it's starting to reach that point where here, here's two, Tony Rojas, and we're going to get into the details of these two guys, Dusty, but Tony Rojas is listed at six one and a half, two hundred 200 pounds, okay, at linebacker. At safety is Dakari Nelson, who's 6'3", 203. So you actually have a safety recruit who is heavier than your linebacker recruit. So I, I'm, I get the feeling those two positions, that linebacker-striker position and actually safety positions, we're going to start interchanging those guys. Is it a safety? Is it a linebacker? Who knows? And I think the responsibilities of the job now, I mean, you're, you're seeing lines blurred all over the place. And I think, you know, Elliot Washington, who's the d- defensive back uh, from Florida who, j- who just committed, you know, he's 5'11", 195. You could see him doing resp- handling responsibilities of a safety or a cornerback. I mean, there are certain positions on the field where those lines do get blurred. I think more and more safety and linebacker is becoming that too, where if you're, if you're big enough to be able to handle yourself in the box, uh, but you're also light and quick enough that you can, you know, cover some ground, you can backpedal, you know, they're really in demand now. And you've seen that at the pro level, you're seeing it at the college level. Uh, I don't know that you can really put any of these guys in a, in a nice tidy box anymore. And I think Tony Rojas, I mean, he, he's played linebacker. You know, he's a linebacker prospect. Dakari Nelson has played safety. You know, he's a unique safety. Tony Rojas is a unique linebacker. And when you're unique in those ways, then maybe you're the kind of guy who can blur that line and be versatile enough to handle a wide variety of assignments. All right. Well, let's talk specifically about these two guys uh, that came in, Tony Rojas and Tamir Robinson. A little bit different bodies. We already alluded to Rojas being around 200 pounds. Tamir Robinson, 
little different build to him. He's 225. So what exactly is Penn State getting with these two players? Well, I think to, with Tamir Robinson, if, if you look at what Cam Brown brought to the table, what Brandon Smith brought to the table, guys who are long and can maybe and can make the field seem like it's smaller. James Franklin has mentioned that with these long guys before. But the thing that's unique about Tamir Robinson, and, and I think the same was true of those other guys too, is that you know he's not one-dimensional at all. You know he has played safety before. He can rush the passer. He can do those things. He's physical enough to play in the box. I think he can probably put on a few more pounds and still move really, really well. He falls into that line of guys that they've liked before too. And I mentioned you know Cam Brown and Brandon Smith. I think Abdul Carter is is similar in that regard, where they're long guys with wingspan who can run well enough to to stay on the field, and they create some mismatch situations. They they make you know, passing lanes uh, close down faster. I mean, he, he's that type of guy. I love his game, and I love his versatility. I love the fact that he's got experience doing a, a whole bunch of stuff. And with that frame and the way that he moves, I mean, the, the same, you know, multiple-type assignment that he has at Brashear High School in Pittsburgh, I think he can do the same thing at the next level. And that's, you know, you talk about modern college football. I, th- I think he's it. But 6'4", 225, I think he can do anything Manny Diaz can possibly drum up for him. And that's what we're going to start seeing more of, I think. Um, guys who can who can handle just about everything. And mentioning Tamir Robinson and doing everything, he's been an edge rusher and he's been a safety in high school. And, you know, we're, we're splitting the difference and calling him a linebacker. But when you talk about Manny Diaz, he always talks about the best pass defense is pressure on the quarterback. So if you have someone who's a linebacker who can put heat on the quarterback, that's going to be a major tool for uh, Manny Diaz's defense, right? Yeah, I, I think you can call Demir Robinson's number when he wants to. Uh, you can line him up. You can you can show blitz and drop him back. You can show coverage and bring him late on a blitz. I think um, the bend and explosiveness, those types of things that he shows now, I think translate to the next level. So you know, you, a guy who's six four, who maybe is is two forty by the time he's really ready to play at Penn State, who can rush the quarterback, drop into coverage, who's not afraid of the physical nature of the game, can can pursue and and uh, and close on ball carriers. I mean. He, he kind of can do it all, and I feel like, you know, with the knee injury he suffered last October, I think that impacted his recruiting rating nationally. He's got a chance to salvage that, and he's got a chance to really show that he's better than his national ranking, which is really good, but I don't think is quite indicative of what his upside is as a prospect. And uh, you got Tony Rojas. Like we said, he this the first things you say about him is how quick he is, right? I don't think I, you know, we've been, we've done this show for long enough that I feel like since 2000, what, 15, I feel like I've watched film on everybody that Penn State has, has uh, landed. And I don't really remember a linebacker, you know, a true linebacker. We've looked at safety linebacker hybrids before. We've had that conversation. But with a true linebacker, I can't remember anybody who can close faster than Tony Rojas. And he doesn't he doesn't shy away from contact. I know he's going to, you know, the, with that frame of his at 62 200, he's got to address that. But I feel like you can see him at 62 220 adding the right pounds and still having that special burst cuz he is really really quick, Jim, and I think 
you know, if you look at all the linebacker prospects nationally, not number one, Tamir Robinson and Tony Rojas, depending on where you look, two of the top 10 linebackers in the country. Uh, but Tony Rojas, you know, if, if you were to tell me he's the fastest linebacker in the country, I would believe it. You know, not looking at all the film of all these different guys, but he is special in that regard. And I think he can be used accordingly. And, you know, to bring a really versatile guy and a really, really explosive quick guy in the same class uh, is a pretty good uh, and, and a really big win for Penn State in this class. Yeah, that it's a huge win. And again, both they are four stars. We'll talk about that later with our blue chip ratio. But I, what's interesting to me is just a couple months ago, we were hearing people ask, gee, could this Manny Diaz guy recruit? I think he can. I think we've seen that throughout the defense now, uh, uh, Dusty. All right, we talked about the two new linebackers. Quarter number two, we're going to talk about the entire linebacker depth chart. Stay tuned for that. This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dustin, we spent much of quarter number one in our new segment talking about the latest Penn State recruits. Two very good linebackers, Tamir Robinson and Tony Rojas. Adds to a, already a really good class, but seems to kind of fill out that defense a bit. There were no linebackers in the class until they brought in these two. But now is probably a great time 
to take a look at that linebacker room and see where we are with it. And let's let's start first of all with last year. And I always mention this: not only are two out of the three starters gone, but the fourth guy that you would use also is gone. From defensive end, he would fill in at linebacker. And you have a situation where, lo and behold, we've got a safety in Jonathan Sutherland coming in to play linebacker. Now I'm being told, well, that's part of how Manny Diaz wants to play defense. It's that position. It's almost another safety. But you've got to at least still say, even if that's optimal and what you want, there's some depth questions at linebacker, isn't there? A hundred percent. I mean, and if you look on, you know, I listed these names out um, for, for the purpose of doing this. And so you have Jonathan Sutherland at the top of the experience spectrum, a, a redshirt senior plus um, making the move from safety to linebacker. Charlie Catcher is also listed as a redshirt senior. And then you get down into sophomores. You know, Curtis Jacobs is, is a sophomore. Tyler Elson is a sophomore eligibility. Uh, Curtis Jacobs is, is in his third year with a COVID year and stuff like that. They still list him as a sophomore. But, you know, you, you do have some, some serious experience and depth question marks where I think the answers to a lot of those questions really come down to how, how ready are young linebackers to possibly contribute. You know, if you look at the depth chart, are you really saying, boy, I think Charlie Catcher is going to have a big year? Um, no disrespect to him, but he, he, he hasn't really stepped into the forefront a lot of times because of injuries and stuff like that. Tyler Elsden is in a competition with Kobe King at, at middle linebacker, and I'm not sure if him as the, as the next closest experienced guy, you can just swab him in anywhere. I don't know if he can do anything besides play in the middle. So then you got you're down to Jamari Budden and Kobe King and and the the trio of freshmen. I mean you're remaking this depth chart on the fly. And I think I'm not sure if they really expected Brandon Smith and or Ellis Brooks to return next year. But I feel like this was a situation where if one of those guys would have made the decision to utilize another year of eligibility, Penn State would have been on a lot more stable ground. And to me, you look at what they've got uh, for the fall. Uh, so much comes down to Jonathan Sutherland being able to do this job and do it at a high level and stay healthy. Uh, and for Curtis Jacobs to be, to be a star. I mean, the, the, you're, you're riding um, those two guys much more so than you would like. And I'm not sure where the remaining spots in the two deep really get, get filled. I mean, you, you're no matter what James Franklin and Manny Diaz want to do, you're going to have a couple young guys in position to have to contribute. I think. And this is a situation, remember, and again, another precursor to our blue chip ratio conversation, there were those couple years, what is it, 20 and 21, where those recruiting classes really didn't pass muster. And back then we kept, well, these are guys, they're not going to, we're not going to see them on the, the field necessarily year one, year two. But those seasons, it's coming back to haunt them a bit. And you see it even in the gap. And, you know, it's nice this list that you put out there. You have a couple of seniors, redshirt seniors, redshirt senior plus. Then you go to sophomores. And, you know, where are those juniors? Where are Where's that sweet spot? And it's just not there. 
this is going to be a complete turnover in the position. And as you say in your notes, Dusty, that's possibly already happening in 22. And some of these very young players, whether they're redshirt freshmen or true freshmen, they're going to end up on the field. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, if if everything goes to script, maybe you can avoid that. But you know, I I look at the three freshmen, all from Philadelphia, for example, um, and and I think I, I failed to write Ken Talley's name in there. But Abdul Carter, Keon Wiley, Ken Talley, I think these guys physically can make the grade, and it just is hard for me to believe that at least one of these guys will not be asked to burn their red shirt this year. You know, I'm not sure which one of it, which one of them is going to be. I personally lean towards Abdul Carter because you know physically he's already he, he's looked like a college guy. It seems like since he was about 12 years old. He's six three, two thirty five. Um, I, I I like him to to play, and I, I don't think the coaching staff is going to have much of a choice in the matter. And you mentioned the 2020 and 2021 classes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in in 2020, Tyler Elsden and, and uh, Curtis Jacobs. In 2019, looking back one year prior to that, where some experienced depth would come from, Lance Dixon was the only linebacker uh, in that class, and he he opted to transfer. So, you know, right, right there is that depth layer, and it's just uh, – and Brandon Smith was in that class too. Obviously, he moved on to the NFL. So that's that depth layer that, that you're missing. And, you know, the, building a roster and maintaining a roster is a constantly shape-shifting puzzle. And this is one of those times where they're, they're signing guys to play linebacker now, and they're in a little bit of a shorthanded situation when it comes to experienced veterans. And so Jonathan Sutherland is a big-time key to making all this work while these young guys start to get their feet under them. It's interesting, first of all, talking about the freshman from Philadelphia. Um, I did a segment with Andy, I think, several weeks ago, and we were talking about, you know, who are our surprise players, guys who might step up. And I just said, one of the Philly linebackers. I don't know which one. And, you know, there, there's a couple different ways uh, to look at it. You know, you have... Uh, Abdul Carter, who seems physically prepared and ready, and you've heard James Franklin talk about him. And, you know, our buddy Eric Epler, um, I remember he is as high as anyone I know on Keon Wiley. And I respect Eric's opinion. You know, is he ready physically? Not sure. But, you know, this is a situation where someone, I believe, is going to be forced to play. Even if... You know, you talk about a best-case scenario. The two-deep is still going to have to take in some of these inexperienced players. So, you know, even if Tyler Elsden wins that middle linebacker position and you have Jonathan Sutherland and Curtis Jacobs, okay, what does the two-man rotation look like, Dusty? Who are the backup three linebackers? Well, whoever loses that inside job is still going to play a pretty a pretty solid share of snaps, I think. And, you know, if I'm guessing right now, I think Kobe King wins it. You're going to have three or four years of him kind of manning that ship, which I think, you know, that that's something that you're going to have to deal with a little bit of growing pains with a, with a young middle linebacker being the key communication cog of the defense. But I think that's something that can pay off down the road and have Kobe King be an anchor as you go through this youth movement elsewhere. And then Tyler Elson, I think, will be obviously see the field in, in rotation with him. 
Like I said, I, I really would not pencil Tyler Elsden in for either the outside jobs. I don't know where he's working or how often Penn State might, might or might not be asking him to, to play multiple positions, but I just don't really see it with him. Uh, Charlie Catcher, I mean, if he can stay healthy, I think he's a guy who can give you some snaps too. Um, but, you know, otherwise, if you want to rest Curtis Jacobs at all, if Charlie Catcher gets injured at all, if Jonathan Sutherland has to come out on obvious running downs, or if they're playing Michigan and you need a bigger linebacker to man that spot because they're going to keep trying to run it down your throat, then you are going to have to lean on some other guys. And I don't know what to make of Jamari Budden just yet. I mean, he's listed with the same physical dimensions as Keon Wiley, for better or worse. Um, I think they're both fine physically. Uh, Jamari Budden obviously was a four-star in the, in the 21 class. I mean, he's a guy who, who can probably contribute if you ask him to. And then the, and then the Philly guys, you're going to have to deal with some youth. I, I, don't, I don't see any way around it right now. And if you're talking about investments into the future – you know, you're going to take some bumps. You're going to have some guys who are going to be out of position sometimes. It's just going to be young mistakes that are being made. But I think the hope will be that you can minimize how often they're in position to do that. And also, you know, you're going to get at least two or three of these freshmen and redshirt freshmen a pretty sizable number of snaps that you can build around for the future. Experience will be huge for these guys. And the hope, I think, when you're looking at 2023 and beyond is that these young guys can kind of carry the carry the defense the rest of the way. And if we're talking depth here, Dustin, already we see a safety moving up to play linebacker in Jonathan Sutherland. And let's face it, you know, there are essentially safety dimensions here. He's 5'11", 211. So he's not the biggest guy in the world. Might we find depth from another safety? Well, I mean, I think Jalen Reed looks like a pretty good candidate to do that. If you're looking for somebody to do the same job that Jonathan Sutherland is going to do, then Jalen Reed might might be an interesting option. And and maybe we'll find that they get as they get through training camp, especially with the depth they've got, at safety, maybe he does emerge as a guy that you can lean on. Maybe not as the plan A coming out of camp, but he's six foot two ten, and it looks like he can maybe carry a little bit more weight if you ask him to. Maybe he's that hybrid linebacker safety as well. Um, James Franklin and Manny Diaz, I, I feel like they're they're pretty good with making the most out of the personnel they do have. And if you need somebody who's got a little experience, if you want to preserve a red shirt, if you want somebody who can be um, quick and, and safety-like at that spot, why not Jalen Reed? You still have Zaki Wheatley. You still got uh, Jair Brown. You still got a bunch of freshman safeties coming in. You still got Keaton Ellis there. I mean, I think their depth at safety would allow for that to happen if they need to, and that'll be a pretty fascinating thing to follow. Uh, you'll you'll learn how they feel about these young linebackers versus how they feel about keeping Jalen Reed at safety, I think, if a need arises and, and, and you see how they end up filling it. And might there also be even less of a need for three linebackers, we talk about that safety coming in, which is like a fifth defensive back. But remember, there's also a pretty good slot cornerback by the name of Daquan Hardy, and you typically think, okay, you're at one less linebacker when he's in the game also. And, and I think, obviously, that's the way football's going. But then you have to look at, okay, what does Penn State have up front? Are they going to be able to get away with having light guys back there on more, more often than not? That's another thing to follow. How well are those defensive tackles and defensive ends going to defend the run? And who are you playing? Illinois, when they play 15 offensive linemen, or Michigan, 
who's going to try and beat you up also. Might things be a little different when you're playing teams like that? All right, Dustin, that's it for our look at the linebacker depth chart. Stick around quarter number three. We're going to talk about quarterback recruiting. Stay tuned. This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there. In his book, Why Penn State, author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s, a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old states past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind We Are. Start your journey today. Order online at whypennstate.com. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. We specialize in providing assistance with many third-party software suites. Our clients include doctor's offices, lawyers, construction companies, and even hairdressers. We provide help with their industry-specific software. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or give us a call at 814-206-0000. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dustin, I mentioned it before the break. We're going to talk some quarterback recruiting. Now, this recruiting class from Penn State, depending on where you look, it seems to be, at least so far, consensus top five, whether it's four or five. Maybe there's some one of the ratings has it at number six. And they've done well everywhere except one position, which is quarterback. You know, remember the most important position of all? Well, the thing of it is, at quarterback, they did have that quarterback recruit, Marcus Stokes, but he decommitted. And the problem, decommits happen. It, it goes on quite a bit. But what happened here to Penn State, it's pretty late in the game now. Most of the good quarterbacks are already gone. Now, it's easy to panic with this. Gee, one quarterback, we didn't get him. But... Based on Penn State's history with quarterback recruiting and based on what happens at other schools, you know, it's one of those things about like taking statistics and interpreting it the way you want. 
should we take that history and and interpret it as uh oh they're in trouble or do we take that history and say eh, it's no big deal yeah i mean i i wouldn't panic about it like it, a lot of these guys uh the top quarterbacks are committed elsewhere and that's not a total deal breaker on its own um, I think what we've seen before, and, and I think 2018 is probably the best, most applicable example of, of where Penn State is now. Justin Fields decommitted late in the game. Uh, Will Levis, who was from, uh, uh, from New England, he was con- in the process of emerging. You know, his athletic testing numbers were phenomenal. He had gotten a Florida State offer. Penn State brought him to campus. I think he, he camped once and ended up committing. He's a good example of a guy who hadn't emerged as a true national prospect, but was maybe in the process of doing so when Penn State came along. Uh, fun, you know, oddly enough, Will Levis was the lowest-ranked recruit in that 2018 class, which was James Franklin's best to date. Um, but I think the same thing happens most cycles. You know, we're coming off the Elite Eleven, and you've got a couple guys that. Um, one quarterback is, is committed to Tulane and Penn State looks to be trying to form a relationship with them. You've got another quarterback from Iowa who's committed to Iowa State who looks pretty solid in that. But, you know, I think Penn State going back to the drawing board, they've had success in this department before. They can flip somebody. They can get somebody who's emerging who might see uh, more Power 5 offers in the future. Recruiting is not a stagnant, solid thing especially a quarterback guy, you know, their stocks rise, their stocks fall. They go to different competitions. They go to national stuff. They go to the elite 11. Um, and, and certainly they'll have a chance to play out the season in the fall too. Guys are going to start to elevate their stocks a little bit and show that they're better than recruiting services. Think those are the players that Penn state is going after right now when they go back to the drawing board. But like I said, I think they've got with James Franklin, a good track record of, of, coming out with somebody who's pretty solid out of that. Well, the other part to this is, you know, just to go through the numbers a bit here with Penn State's history of recruiting, and I went from 2015 through 2020, which is a six-year span. Yes, I left out 2021 and 2022, where Christian Vayu, Drew Aller, and Bo Prabula came on board, but, you know, they're still so new, their history has not yet played out. In that span of six years, they had nine players commit to them. Out of that nine players, two of them decommitted before getting here. Five of them transferred after they got here. One of them never played medical condition, medical retirement, I guess we could call it, which was Jake Zemback from way back in 2016. So over that six-year span, there's been one quarterback left standing, one quarterback who has played significant downs for Penn State, and he's got another year to go, and that's Sean Clifford. So in that way, does it tell you that, gee, we only need to hit on one guy every five or six years? So if you know it doesn't uh, come to fruition for you this year, that's okay. We only need one guy every half a decade. Well, I think what you can say, certainly about the last four years, is that Penn State has had certainty at the quarterback position, right? At, at, the, to- at the top of the depth chart, anyway. 
And they've managed to avoid. I know Sean Clifford's been dinged up, and and he's and and Penn State has had to go to a backup a couple of times, including some pretty key moments, uh, including last year. But for the most part, they haven't had that chaos that ensues when your quarterback suffers a you know medium to long term injury. So they've been pretty fortunate as far as that goes because that has masked a lot of depth chart problems. And I, I said the same thing about Christian Hackenberg once upon a time. The fact that he stayed upright and stayed healthy, and whether you could criticize his game or not, you most certainly could. Um, they they avoided a situation where they, they, they needed to lean on a depth chart that wasn't ready to be leaned on. So now I think they're kind of in the same boat. Um, you know, take Juan Roberson, Michael Johnson Jr., Micah Bowens, the, the three guys who were signed in 2019 and 2020 have all transferred. Will Levis is, is now in Kentucky. You know, the fact that you've had so much certainty at quarterback has kind of driven some of these other guys away. And I think Will Levis, too, like, you know, Bob Flounders and I talked about this last week, the idea of loyalty to Sean Clifford and the way that the 2020 season unfolded where he was benched briefly and Will Levis got, uh, you know, what looked like an opportunity. I don't think it was really an opportunity at all. You know, I, th- I think it was just a matter of getting Sean Clifford to the sideline, giving him a breather. I don't think they were really looking at Will Levis as a replacement option for Sean Clifford. And when you have that situation where clearly one guy is going to be the guy, then, you know, you have guys who want to leave. So if Penn State had a little bit more uncertainty at the top, maybe some of these guys would have stuck around if that makes sense. And you have the situation that, and by the way, Yes, we all remember the um, Iowa game last year. Yes, we remember they didn't have depth at the position. They didn't have someone to turn to, and obviously it was a factor. And obviously they would have loved to have had Will Levis ready to go for that game and probably even ready to go the following week against Illinois when Sean Clifford was still obviously affected by injury. But this is one of those crazy situations where, you know, Will Levis, Tommy Stevens, they were guys that may not have been at the top of other people's lists, but Penn State did a pretty good job in bringing them in, a good enough job that these guys were good enough to say, hey, wait a minute, I could go start somewhere else as opposed to being the backup at Penn State. It's almost like your success in finding these guys ends up working against you. But now you're talking, you know, uh, the loyalty to Sean Clifford. But I think the other part of that is where does the transfer portal fit in at Penn State? It really doesn't seem like it fits at all. No, and I mean, I think, again, you have a guy that you're committed to and I think you can criticize maybe James Franklin at times for being so committed to Sean Clifford that he's not really willing to open his viewpoint up to somebody else, like a, like a Will Levis. Will Levis knew his shot wasn't happening at Penn State. He was pigeonholed into the into a, a running threat, and uh, I don't think Penn State really could afford or didn't want to wait around while he developed in the rest of his game. So they they only utilized him in a way that that helped them right here, right now. weren't really concerned about him as a passer, and he moved on as a result of that. But when you have a guy who, who's entrenched, um, then who are you bringing in from the transfer portal? 
You know, I think at all positions, Penn State has been reluctant. Um, they've they've wanted to make sure they could do all their due diligence, that they had a relationship with a, with a player before, that they were the best optimal fit for the team, for the roster, for the program, all that stuff. And they just haven't found anybody who checked those boxes. And maybe it's because they haven't been in the market for a potential starter. What are you looking for? on the transfer portal, you know, by their very nature, a quarterback is probably ending up in the transfer portal because he's looking for a chance to start somewhere. And Penn State was never that destination. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, beyond this year, maybe this is the year where a transfer portal guy makes sense, a veteran to come in and push Christian Bayou and, and the freshman, maybe now. But I don't, I can't imagine Penn State have, has had any interest from a legitimate quarterback on the portal with Sean Clifford still in place. And even if, let's take, you know, 22 out of it because Sean Clifford is there, Sean Clifford leaves, are you looking to bring a quarterback in to start ahead of either Christian Vayu or possibly Drew Aller, who's this five-star kid that you brought in? If you don't get that, are you down to, you know, Vayu, Aller, Prabula with a quarterback competition next spring can you picture both Vayu and Aller coming back? Or, you know, would you be shocked if one of them transfers if they don't win the job outright in the spring? Then you're back to this whole depth situation. So this is where at get numbers become an issue, where maybe it's not even I need an elite guy. I need a guy who could take snaps in the in a in the worst case situation. Well, I, I, I really think that next year lends itself as well as any to, to getting a transfer quarterback because um, if you let's say you bring in a senior or a redshirt jute, somebody who's got a, a year of eligibility left, and you bring that guy in to compete for the job, and maybe if he doesn't win the job, then he's experienced uh, backup. But if he does win the job, then I don't think Christian Veyu is really turned off because he's got to wait another year to start. Where I think will be interesting is, does the Sean Clifford situation play out again where Christian Veyu gets the first crack at it and James Franklin is really, really, really reluctant to move away from him? For better or worse, you know, then what do you have? You probably have the 2022 guys, maybe both of them move on. You know, that'll be interesting to see is how that next quarterback competition works and how open James Franklin might be to entertaining going with a backup at some point because there's one year of eligibility separating these guys right now. If Christian Bayou is destined to be the starter for three to four years, why would Drew Aller or Bro Perbola stick around? Here's my early prediction to that spring competition, Dustin. No decision will be made in the spring. I'm not going to declare a starter because I want them, at least Aller and Vayu, to come back and give them both the impression it's still an open competition. They both have a chance to be the starter. And that's not even mentioning Bo Prabula. All right, Dusty, that is it on quarterback recruiting. Stick around, quarter number four. Our fa- one of our favorite topics. Let's talk blue chip ratio. This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 
888-788-4414. See you there. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lion's soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dusty, one of our favorite topics over the years, it's the blue chip ratio. Uh, Good timing right now to talk about it because Penn State put itself in a nice position with the recruiting class this year and last year. Real quick, define for our listeners what blue chip ratio means. It's really just the percentage of four and five star recruits out of the total players on your roster. So those are the blue chips, and it's just a gauge of, of how talented your roster was, how highly regarded they were coming out of high school, and you can have some you know, proponents of it will say that that really matters, and I think proponents of it would say, and I'm a proponent of it, would say that overall talent level over a longer period of time, let's say seven, eight, nine years, where you know, we're talking about James Franklin's tenure at Penn State, that overall number kind of tends to be predictive of, of how teams fall in line. And, you know, you, you mentioned Penn State being in good position. They've got the 13th best blue chip ratio in the country right now going into 2022. And, you know, if you were to tell me they're the 13th best program in the country, I'd say that's probably that's a, probably a pretty accurate number. And, and the uh, situation is such that with blue chip ratio, it was, oh, if you have that ratio over 50%, you have a chance to win the national championship. I think over the years this has changed a bit. It's it's more a way not of saying, gee, Penn State's over 50%. They're at 55%. They have a chance to win the national championship. It's more about where they are in the pecking order now because, let's face it, over the last several years, to win a national championship, you have to be named Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia or Clemson, someone like that. And by no coincidence, 
right now, Penn State, we're thinking, hey, 55%, they're pretty good. And if you look at this year's blue chip ratio, what is it's at for twenty the class of 23, it's at 73%, which is fantastic. That's one year at 73%. Meanwhile, Alabama, over the last four years, is at 89%. Ohio State, 80%. Georgia, 77%. So, you know, I, I think the parameter... I, the basis of the blue chip ratio had always been, gee, you got to be over 50% to win a national championship. Well, you've got these teams that are over 80%. I think essentially, well, let me put it to you this way, Dustin. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia. You have your choice of winning the national championship. One of those three teams or the field, who you got? Uh, truthfully, one of those three teams. How If you're a recruit who's interested in playing in national championship games, I think all of them, where you're looking at four- and five-star guys, are all thinking about how can I develop to get to the next level. And I think there's a bunch of programs that can say, hey, we can do that too. But if you're, if you're only looking at odds of playing for a national title, absolutely those three teams. Those have been the three most constant teams. You've had a little bit of a... Um, you know, the fourth team can evolve and, and a little bit. You've seen Notre Dame or Washington or Cincinnati uh, in there. Clemson obviously is, is, has been on another level, but they've shown some, some chinks in the armor now too. But those three teams are fixtures, and it all shows in their blue chip ratio. Um, you're not going to out-talent them. You are going to be out-talented. And, you know, a huge majority of the time, that's going to mean you're losing games. Never mind the fact that their coaching staffs are outstanding. You know, generally speaking, they, they've got, you know, really good quarterback play. You know, if you want to try to close the gap on them, I think what you're hoping to do is steadily build out the talent on your roster and try to catch lightning in a bottle that you that you win a big game or two and can maybe take another little level up. Um, when it comes to how you're viewed on a national level and how many big-time recruits you can get, you're not going to make an overnight run into joining those three teams. You're going to have to put yourself in a position, cycle up one year with an experienced quarterback or whatever, and then hope to build on that. Penn State, you know, 2016, you can keep looking back at how they how they played that year. That was Penn State's best team under James Franklin. And they just weren't quite able to seize that momentum and turn it into more. You know, the only Big Ten title under James Franklin. So you need to do something like Penn State did in 2016, but then parlay that into, you know, big-time recruiting wins and big-time wins on the field. Penn State just hasn't quite done that yet. No, they have it. And for those, again, here's the counterpoint to what I was saying about those top couple teams. You alluded to it, Clemson. Now, Clemson still is over 60% with their blue chip recruiting. They also had two generational quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. They were a bit of the equalizers there. LSU, that one year, even though they are also over 60% with their blue chip ratio, did they have a pretty good quarterback that year? They jumped up and won the national championship. Yeah, he's uh, Sean, Sean Clifford's twin brother. <laughs> That's right. But it was Joe Burrow, ironically, a guy who came from Ohio State. So what Penn State has to do is even if you don't look at this blue chip ratio as a way to say, oh, they're now national championship contenders, 
could they at least be move themselves up to that best of the rest category? And you do that, as you said, by stacking these good recruiting classes. They haven't done that. In particular, you alluded to it, uh, Dustin, those classes in 20 and 21, they, those classes hurt them because you just overall didn't have that type of uh, recruiting class. Yeah, I think those classes just were never going to yield a lot of impact players. You know, you might you might have evaluated well and gotten some guys who are some hidden gems, and you you need that. You know that that's where the blue chip ratio doesn't really cover your program's ability to identify diamonds in the rough and develop them. Penn State's been really really good in that department. I feel like, um, but you know those classes. I uh, talk about individual, and I, I found the individual year by year blue chip ratio of classes pretty interesting too. In 2021, the blue chip ratio for Penn State in that one class was 33 percent, six out of 18. In 2020, 40.7 percent, 11 out of 27. You know, those, those two layers of, of that they make up a pretty good chunk of Penn State's roster right now. And it's actually kind of weighing down that 55% where you look at, you know, 2022, the most recent class they brought in was 64%, 16 out of 25. You had some five stars at the top, you know, and I think that's one thing that is really tough to match someplace else is number one, the amount of quality players that those three programs are being, bringing in, but also the number of players who are five-star, can't-miss, future NFL talents. Penn State's been a little light in that regard. And I think, frankly, if you're looking at one particular area, uh, quarterback could be one, but they, they're they going to get killed in the trenches by Alabama and Georgia. When is that ever go- going to change? So I think what Penn State is doing, to bottom line my thought on this, it, what Penn State's doing in 2022 and 2023 is being a lot closer in the neighborhood to competing on a national level than what we've seen over the two classes prior to that and and on the field prior to that. Again, just using these numbers, the blue chip ratio for our ranking, and I realize I'm cherry picking by using one year you know, versus the four year, which is what you need to do. But at this 73% blue chippers in the class of 23, just as you look at that ranking, I mentioned Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia at 89%, 80 and 77. This 73% would put Penn State fourth. Last year, 64% would have put them eighth, okay? Solidly in there into that top 10. Now, if they can layer these class after class after class, then you start to have something special. Does that match Alabama? No. Does it match Ohio State? No. But it puts you at that best of the rest. And quite candidly, that might be, I don't want to damn them with faint praise when I say best of the rest, Dustin, because there are outside of those three teams, every other program in the country would kill for that. So if Penn State can achieve that, I think a Penn State fan has to be pretty happy. I think at this point in time, that's one of the best scenarios you can hope for is to be in the same neighborhood. You're never going to out-talent Alabama. You're not going to really – it's going to be hard to out-talent Ohio State because year after year after year, they're still outdoing Penn State on the recruiting trail. I would imagine in 2023, no matter how how well things are going now – 
there's a pretty good chance that Penn State is still looking up at Ohio State in the national recruiting rankings. But what you're hoping to do is is be in that top eight or ten when it comes to overall talent level. And then let's say you get the right quarterback. And let's just say you have, you know, an edge rusher emerge kind of out of nowhere. And and if a lot of things go right, then that ratio is is fine. And on a one-week basis, that you got to beat Ohio State. You know, if you're on a one week basis, you got to beat Michigan on a one week basis. You got to, you know, beat somebody in the college football playoff. It gives you a fighting chance. And then if you are on those on, if you take advantage of that one shot you've got, then that can parlay into something more. You know, that's how Clemson kind of got going. So if let's just say Drew Aller is the guy at quarterback, let's just say he's everything he's expected to be. And then some. I don't suddenly I don't think Penn State's blue chip ratio is as big a deal and on a one week basis if you've got that type of talent on the field where you're not getting killed across the board um and you've got the quarterback now you're in position to make a a a one year jump and when you're in a position to make a one year jump then maybe that leads to better recruiting and you're in a better position then to make a multiple year jump and let's also remember this. After I say, hey, they're not going to match those three top teams, and they're not going to in recruiting. I don't think anybody else will either. But you could only put 22 guys on the field at the, t- at the same time. So if they have all those extra blue chippers on the sideline, that's not gaining them anything. And, you know, plus, with all that talent, we see it especially at quarterback. Quinn Ewers the number one quarterback recruit, number one recruit in the country, he still counts in this blue chip ratio. By the way, he's now at Texas, but he counts there. So get yourself in the neighborhood at least, right, Dusty? Yeah, and I think uh, the blue chip ratio overall roster talent means margin for error. And you say these backups on the sidelines aren't contributing. Well, I mean, when, when things go south, these teams with a high blue chip ratio have options. Teams that don't have a high blue chip ratio don't really have options. Everything has to go right for them, but at least the capacity is there for for them to excel. All right, Dustin, that's it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there. In his book, Why Penn State, author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s, a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old states past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind we are. Start your journey today. Order online at whypennstate.com. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. 
You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are tech results located right here in state college we specialize in providing assistance with many third-party software suites our clients include doctor's offices lawyers construction companies and even hairdressers we provide help with their industry specific software learn more at techresults.com that's t-e-k results.com or give us a call at 814-206-0000 